Our reading this afternoon is from Luke 6, 37 through 42. This is what Holy Scripture says. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them in a parable, Can a blind man lead lead a a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Thanks be to God. Well, good afternoon. It's good to be with you. We've been in this series uh, on the teachings of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And we're here at the Sermon on the Plain. And uh, two weeks ago, or a few weeks ago, we talked about how uh, many have noticed the similarities between what Jesus has to teach us here and uh, Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. If you're familiar with that sermon, you know it's much longer than what we'll cover here in Luke 6. Uh, But this is one of the more famous parts of both sermons. In Matthew, it's in chapter 7 when Jesus uses these words. Here we are in Luke 6. I was listening to Ray Cortesi preach on the Matthew 7 passage. Uh, Ray is a pastor of a large church in Florida, one of the more well-known pastors in our denomination. And he started out his sermon with these words, judge not. And I was struck by what followed was Cortesi's humility and honesty when he said this. You know, I, I have struggled with a critical spirit my entire life. And I have hurt many people my entire life. And he started out with those words, and it just drew me in because I'm right with him. I have struggled with a critical spirit my entire life. And the thing I've noticed over the 46 years of my life, that my critical spirit is often hidden. You'll never see it. And maybe you're like me. That critical nature doesn't come out. Maybe you're a quieter personality, an introvert, whatever it might be. Uh, There's some people, their judgment just is there for everyone to see. It just comes out. They can't help it. But then there's those of us who are really good at hiding it. And I sensed as I listened to Cortesi preach this sermon that I often hide my critical spirit behind a self-righteous disguise. 
And I just want to begin with that. To be with all of you and hopefully be honest and transparent. That, that as I enter into this passage and, and want to bring God's word to you, I, I do so very humbled, very humbled from the past week of studying this passage. And I think it's important for me to begin with that because we're told these days more and more young people, either millennials or younger, are disgusted with the church, disgusted with Christians because Christians are hypocritical, Christians are judgmental, and it's true. It's true, isn't it? That's who we are. Now, what I find interesting, though, about that posture that so many people outside the church have, it's a very critical and judgmental statement. I wonder if they see their own hypocrisy. Now, I've been listening to podcasts, reading articles by people who have left the faith, and all I hear are critical and judgmental comments. And, and, and I simply point that out, uh, not to, to be superior or, or, or uh, condemn anybody, but simply to say, hey, this is something we all struggle with. I mean, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're inside the church or outside the church, we all can identify with Jesus' words here. And if you're here today or you're listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm not judgmental. I don't have a critical spirit. Let me kindly and pastorally ask, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure? Now, the Bible has been described as a mirror. And I like that image. Uh, what does a mirror show us? A mirror shows us a reflection of ourselves. But a mirror is only effective if we stop long enough to look in it. Have you ever had that moment when you look in a mirror and you don't like what you see? I'm experiencing that more and more often the older I get. Uh, I see more wrinkles. I see more hair growing in places. I don't want it to grow. And there's just more and more things I see about myself that I don't like as I look into this mirror. And I often have that same experience when I look into God's Word. When I look in, at this, this Word that shows me the ugliness of my inner life written out on its pages. And our passage today is often quoted by those outside the church uh, when the topic of morality comes up. And, uh, you know, if, if a Christian, maybe you've run into this, if you make an, a moral evaluation of a person's lifestyle, the response, usually without fail, will come back, well, who are you to judge anyone? You're not perfect. Years ago, the theologian Lewis uh, Smedes described our cultural moral dilemma this way. He said, modern Americans suffer from a fear of judging. Passing judgment on the behavior of fellow human beings is considered an act of medieval undemocratic intolerance. Why? Because our culture tells us we're all flawed people. And people with flaws have no right to judge other people's flaws. 
Now, perhaps you felt that way and you fear doing that very thing. Maybe you fear judging anyone because you know how broken and how flawed you are and you feel like you don't have a right to make any judgments of anyone else. And it seems, if we look at Luke 6 on a very superficial level, it seems like Jesus is forbidding us from doing just that. I mean, do you feel the tension? Do you feel the struggle? Friends, it's important when, when we read Scripture to see it in its greater context, to read the, the whole story, to understand how this passage fits within the greater story of God's Word. For example, if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul addressed an uncomfortable situation within the church in Corinth. Um, he tells the Corinthians not to judge the sexual morality of those outside the church, but that it's necessary to judge those who claim to be brothers and sisters inside the church. It's fascinating. Isn't it? I mean, is Paul at odds with Jesus? I mean, Paul seems to be telling us to judge. But you, you need to judge the right people. And even in our passage in Luke 6, Jesus makes a critical judgment of the religious leaders of his day. There in verse 39, you may have noticed when he says, Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Jesus there is referring to the Pharisees and the scribes. He's describing them as being blind. He's making a judgment, a critical statement about them. Is he contradicting himself? And next week we're going to look at Jesus' uh, next words, the next verses in this passage, where Jesus again makes some judgmental statements. He talks about good and bad trees that bear good and bad fruit. He classifies some people as good and other people as evil. Those are very critical and judgmental statements. So when we stop and really look at our passage, it's a little more complicated than simply going, well, don't judge anybody. Jesus said don't judge. You see, we, as we look at it and we and really, really study it, we see that Jesus is showing us that there is a wrong kind of judging, but there's also a right kind of judging. And that's where I'd like to go with our time. Uh, first, we're going to look at this wrong kind of judging that Jesus describes, and then we're going to discover what the right kind of judging that Jesus encourages us toward and then we'll end by talking about how the gospel helps us know the difference. So that's where we're headed. So let's start with the wrong kind of judging. The wrong kind of judging begins with the wrong person. Okay, the wrong kind of judging begins with the wrong person. The one thing I love about the Bible is that it's brutally honest about the human condition. The heroes of the Bible are extremely flawed individuals. And King David in the Old Testament is a great example of this. If you know his story, you know that David screwed up a lot. Uh, in 2 Samuel, uh, David takes another man's wife and he plots to have that woman's husband killed in battle to cover over his sin. It's an incredibly wicked and disturbing story. And after David 
has accomplished this awful cover-up, the prophet Nathan comes along and confronts David with a story. Now, in this story, there were two men. There was a rich man and a poor man. And the poor man, we're told, had nothing except for a, a little lamb that he loved like a daughter. But the rich man, even though he had all sorts of flocks and herds and sheep, he chose to take the poor man's lamb and serve it for dinner for a traveler. And when David heard this story, we're told that David's anger was inflamed against the rich man. And David, out of his anger, began pronouncing all sorts of judgment saying how horrible and wicked this man was. And he couldn't believe that he would do such a thing. And of course, David's righteous anger was fixated on the rich man. And Nathan looks at David and says, David, you are that man. And what this story shows us is how easy it is to see the fault in others while remaining blind to our own sin. The story shows us. And that's where the wrong kind of judging begins. It begins with the wrong person. And the wrong person is anyone other than yourself. (laughs) Jesus uses this humorous example to make his point there in verses 41 to 42. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. One commentator described the log here as as, uh, the load-carrying beam in the room or floor of a house. We have a slide here that shows you how large that load-bearing beam can be. So, So imagine that's what Jesus is talking about here. I I mean, to, to not see that, you really do have to be blind. And it makes you wonder, could anyone be that blind? Well, David was. David was. He was a hypocrite. And he fell into the trap that we all fall into if we judge anyone else before we start with ourselves. And ideally that happens when we start with our own hearts. And hopefully when we start with our own hearts and we evaluate and judge our own hearts, that humbles us and it cultivates compassion in us. That's the point. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to see. That when you honestly look at yourself first, it softens you. It helps you understand. It allows you to relate and you no longer judge people by looking down on them or feeling superior with them. In fact, you can begin to identify with them. They become more human, relatable. That's what happened to King David when Nathan confronted him and when David saw his own sin, it it broke him. It humbled him. And he turned to God. And that's exactly what Jesus wants each and every one of his followers to do. The wrong kind of judging begins when you start with the wrong person. And so this huge problem comes about 
by this, by this that if, even if we were to start with our own hearts, it's difficult to trust our own evaluation. It's difficult to trust our own self-evaluation. In other words, you shouldn't be the only one evaluating your heart. Because you're naturally predisposed not to see the log in your eye. That's what Jesus is warning us of. Uh, you can begin with yourself and not see it, just as David didn't see it. And now that's one reason why we include a confession of sin every week. I don't know if you come from a church background that does that. Many churches today don't do a weekly confession of sin, but we believe that's important because what we're trying to do is cultivate that practice of self-evaluation, where you have to stop and say, okay, uh, God, where is sin in my life? Where, where am I? Where's the log? Really, confession of sin weekly is just an opportunity for you to stop and look. Is there a log in my eye? Now, if you every week get to that point in the sermon, the confession of sin, and you sit there and you're like, I don't know what to confess. Some of you, you're there, right? You've been there. I've been there. You're like, I don't know what to confess. Exactly. We don't see it. We don't see it. And here's a tip. If you're, if you're there, if you're at that point in the service, we're having that time of silence, we're asking you, hey, confess your sins to God, and you're stumped, do this. Pray the words of David in Psalm 139. Where he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, it's okay if you don't see it. Because I don't see it either. Ask God to show you. Use that time. Pray. God, I don't see it. Show me. Reveal it to me. Open my eyes. The other thing I would encourage you to do is find people in your life who you can ask to give you feedback. I love Ken Sandy's words in Resolving Everyday Conflict. He says, the older I get, the less I trust myself to be impartial about my contribution to a conflict. So I've surrounded myself with family, friends, co-workers, and other spiritual partners who can openly critique my role. In other words, do you have people in your life you can go to and say, hey, what do you see in me? What, what areas in my life, in my character, do you feel that I need to grow? Do you ask anybody that question? Do you have anybody in your life who you go to and say, hey, I want to grow. I want to become more like Jesus. Where do you see that I need to do this? Where do I need to change? What, what areas in my life do I need to be confronted? Do you have anyone in your life you're, you're having those kinds of conversations with? I'd invite you into that. And here's why this is so important to start with the right person. Because when you start with your own heart... It leads to the right attitude. When you start with the wrong person, it leads to the wrong attitude. It leads to a condemning attitude. That's, 
That's what Jesus gets at the very beginning of the passage in verse 37-38. When he says, judge not, you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Basically, look, look at what Jesus is doing. He's connecting judging and condemning and not forgiving and not being generous. They all are tied together. So, so that Jesus isn't condemning the act of judging others as much as he's condemning the act of condemning others. He's forbidding the act of condemning others. To condemn someone is to evaluate them as hopeless, worthless, inferior, not worth your time. It's your heart that Jesus is trying to get at here. And and it's only after you've taken the time to look at your own heart that your heart begins to change and enables you to judge others in a way that is not condemning. So if you ever find yourself thinking about another person where I can't stand that type of person or I can't be in their presence or I don't want to talk to them or I can't stand being around them, I think that's a sign that you've fallen into this trap. You've fallen into this kind of condemning judgmental, critical mentality that Jesus is calling us to avoid. He's saying, don't pass final judgment on others. Don't declare them irreparably guilty, irretrievably guilty. Remember, Jesus was speaking to a culture that believed some people just weren't acceptable. Some people just weren't acceptable. He he uh, lived in a culture where the Jews believed Gentiles were dogs. They were dogs. And Romans believed the same thing about Jews. And so he, he's coming into this culture where everyone is judging each other. And everyone is building their identity on feeling superior to one another. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 not my people. Not my people. Not those who would be my disciples. So he's calling us, forbidding us from this kind of condemning, judgmental, critical attitude. And let me say this. He's, he's not only forbidding us from being judgmental and critical of others. I think Jesus here is also forbidding us from being indifferent about other people. And I would guess that's where most of us in this room fit. I don't think we have a very critical, judgmental church family. I really, I mean, unless you're all hiding it like me. Uh, I think our struggle is indifference. I think we tend to just take the attitude, well, who am I to judge? It's not my business. They're going to do what they're going to do. I'm not going to get involved. And so we prefer this kind of indifference, but that's not what Jesus is encouraging us towards either. Because notice, let's go to the right kind of judging. The right kind of judging leads to healing. Do you notice that? Did you see that in the parable that Jesus talked about? Jesus, this is, this is how it works. Jesus says, judge yourself first. So that you can clearly go on your way and do your own thing? No. Judge yourself first so that you can clearly and rightly see the speck in your brother's eye. 
Jesus wants us to notice what's wrong with our brother. Do you see that? Jesus doesn't say ignore it. Jesus doesn't say be indifferent to it. Jesus says have the right heart attitude. Notice notice the faults in others. Notice their sin in order to heal them, in order to be a part of the healing process, in order to be an agent God can use in their life so that you can see clearly to help them. That's what Jesus is saying here in this parable. You think you're loving someone by ignoring the speck. That's not real love. That's not real love. In Galatians 6.1, Paul says this, Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Restore there means to mend, to repair, to bring healing. Not to turn your back, not to ignore, not to pretend like you don't see it. And that's so often our response. But, and yes, this can be dangerous. It can be dangerous to, you know, to speak into somebody's life. It can also be dangerous because oftentimes you can become eager to see the speck. We don't want to do that. That's why the, the process, the order that Jesus gives us is so important. You start with yourself. You start with yourself. And so the right kind of judging leads to healing. That's the motivation. That's, that's where the love. That's where it's coming from. Also, the right kind of judging happens within a relationship. Notice Jesus says here, um, he's talking about seeing the, a brother's speck. I mean, it reminds us of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 5. Paul says, hey, I'm not going to judge those outside the church. I'm going to judge those in the church. I'm going to judge those who are my brothers and sisters. And that's exactly what Jesus says here. He says, you see the speck in your brother's eye. It's a brother. It's a sister. A brother is someone that I know. A brother is someone that I hopefully love. A brother is someone I hopefully have a history with. Hopefully there's trust there. And hopefully my brother will trust me when I reach over and try to get that speck out. And so right, the right kind of judging happens within a relationship. And so again, let me, let me just challenge you. Do you have those relationships? Do you have someone in your life that you trust to do this? Now, I have to admit, I am so often afraid to do this. And as, the older I get to, as a pastor, the more and more I see this is one of my bigger failings as a pastor is my unwillingness because I'm a people pleaser and I'm afraid that y'all might be mad at me. Um, But it's selfishness that keeps me from speaking into your lives. If I love you, I'm going to speak into your life. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it this way, nothing is so cruel as the tenderness that consigns another to his sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a brother back from the path of sin. And so I'm challenging us, all of us, uh, with this vision that Jesus gives of the right kind of judging it brings healing. It's, it happens within a relationship. And finally, the right kind of judging involves discernment. I'll go back to Lewis 
Smeads. He says, seeing reality for what it is, what we call discernment, the work of discernment is very hard. <laughs> you know, we spent the summer in Proverbs, and that was all about discernment and wisdom. And this process involves discernment and wisdom. It involves being careful. It involves evaluating. I mean, Jesus describes, you know, spotting a speck. A speck is not easy to see. And you don't do it quickly. You don't do it flippantly. It's hard work. You should be slow to judge others. Uh, we need to look at ourselves first. We need to evaluate, is this an issue that needs to be talked about? Is this something that, you know, can love, love can cover up a multitude of sins? Is this something maybe where love can take care of? But discernment involves taking our time as we try to see clearly, okay, is that really a speck? Is that a speck that's always in my brother's eye? Is that a speck that just sometimes shows up in my brother's eye? Is that a speck that is impairing my, bro my brother's vision? Is my brother or sister already aware of this? And if I bring it up, I'm just going to be heaping condemnation on them and discouraging them? So this right kind of judging, it takes discernment, it takes wisdom... That we need to be careful that we're not causing more problems than, than doing the good work that God wants us to do in each other's life. And so finally, as we, as we close, how, how does the gospel help us in, in moving, in knowing the difference, moving away from the wrong kind of judging to the right kind of judging? How does the gospel help us? Well, if you guys remember... You know, there's, there are various ways we could define the gospel, but one of the simplest, shortest ways is this. Jesus saves sinners, right? That's our understanding of the gospel. Jesus saves sinners. Sinners don't save themselves. Sinners don't work really hard to make God like them. No, it's Jesus who does it. Another way we could say that the gospel is that you're worse than you're willing to admit, but more love than you could ever imagine. <laughs> and if that's true, then God freely loves you. God announces that love for you, and it is given to you by grace. It is not given by your performance, by anything you could accomplish or do for God. It is freely given. And so your relationship with God is not about your performance. Now, um, Jim Harbaugh, uh, coach of Michigan Wolverines, he's, he's uh, known for this quote, you are what your record says you are. Now, he's saying that in the context of being a college football coach. And that's tr probably true. <laughs> But I want, you, and I want you to sit with that for a moment. Is that how you view your relationship with God? Is that how you view yourself? That you are what your record says you are in God's eyes. And are you living that way? Is your heart burdened by that? You see, if we're going to judge each other, with that mentality, we're going to destroy each other. 
We're going to do it harshly. We're going to do it critically. We're going to do it in a way that's destructive, not moving us towards healing. So the gospel reminds us a few things quickly. The gospel reminds us that God is our judge. God is our judge. I think that's one of the things that Jesus wants us to see in the context of this teaching. That when we condemn others and are judgmental, we're we're claiming God's authority as the ultimate judge. Frederick uh, Bruner put it this way, that we're asked to surrender the judgment of condemnation, i.e. snatching from God the verdict of the last judgment. We are not asked to surrender the judgment of discrimination. We're not to make final judgments on anyone, nor to speak assuredly of people's real character, nor to pretend we know God's verdict on other people's lives. So the gospel reminds us that God is the one who will judge us, not our own hearts, not another person, so that when someone comes to you and sees the speck, you're not crushed by it. They're not your judge. The gospel also reminds us that Jesus is our righteousness. That the gospel tells us it's Jesus who stands in our place before the throne of God. As God is our judge, but Jesus is our advocate. (laughs) And that his righteousness becomes our righteousness by faith. And so we don't stand condemned. You are what Jesus' record says you are. Not what your record says you are. And therefore... Again, I don't have to be crushed if someone tells me, you know, you've got this speck in your eye. Yeah, let me tell you, it's worse than you think. (laughs) But I'm loved by Christ. I love that saying. You've heard it before. We're just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And the gospel humbles us in that place so that when we go to one another, it's, you know, I'm, I'm only one beggar trying to help another beggar get the speck out of their eye. And finally, the gospel reminds us that God is our healer. God is our healer. We, if we go to others and we try to help them, we are not their healer, okay? We're not their savior. If you're trying to help another who's in sin, you, you, you seek discernment, you seek God's leading, and you leave them to Christ. You, you let God do his work in them. You don't try to control them. You don't try to force them. You let God work in them. And so that brings freedom for us. Freedom that we don't have to be perfect to lovingly (laughs) confront someone, to restore someone. We don't have to be perfect. We're not. And we can just bring them into the presence of the one who is and can bring them to life. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for this passage. I ask that It would speak to us in this moment as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, as we prepare for the offering. Just remind us, Lord, that you are our our judge, but also our redeemer. And that we can put ourselves in your hands and know that we are cared for, that we are known, and that we are loved. And we thank you for that good news And we celebrate that this afternoon. Jesus, we love you. Amen.